This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 11, verses 45 through 52. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this morning. We praise you that we have this opportunity to gather and worship your name. Today, be ministered to by you. Oh Lord, as your word goes out this morning, I just ask and I pray that you would work in it and through it in our hearts and in our minds. That you would minister to your people this morning. And you would help me as your servant, working in me and through me for your people's sake. For we ask this in the beloved name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 11, begin at verse 45, the text reads this. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And then he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. What we're going to discover here this morning in this text is the subtle and deceptive nature of religiosity. Now oh, there's a word. Religiosity. <laughs> Just make it up. And I use the word religiosity for a reason. Because I think it, we're all very susceptible to it. Every one of us. Our flesh has a tendency toward it. And the clever schemes of the evil one push us as God's people in this direction. It's easy to read about the lawyers and the scribes, as always, right? And it's, and it's, it's easy to read about them, those people out there. Boy, I can't stand those people. Yet what's not so easy is to look upon it and to reflect upon it and say, how am I like the lawyers? And that's really the task we have to ask ourselves. Let the word of God examine our hearts. And the reason I use this word religiosity this morning because it's for this reason. In all of us, there can be a desire to want to be seen as holy and upright to other Christians. But we're kind of flaky. Because if we're around non-Christians and people of the world, how do you want to appear? Cool and acceptable. So we can kind of change depending on who we're around. And our flesh desires to be loved and accepted by the groups of people who are around us, Right? We can have a tendency to seek the acceptance of the groups we're around 
And because sometimes around Christians, around people, that we, we know what they're probably expecting, we adjust, and we want their acceptance and their love. So what our flesh does is our flesh is tempted to do what's necessary to, to get it. So whenever this desire to please and be accepted by Christians is driving us, a religiosity is produced, which is nothing more than a fake veneer of religion. We'll see in this text how this works itself out. And to begin with, one of the manifestations of this religiosity is that you put high standards on others that you yourselves don't uphold. And I'm going to put this on the screen for us this morning. And if you guys, if this is something you guys enjoy looking at, if this is helpful, I'll continue to do it. If not, I won't. But I want us to see that this is exactly what was going on with, the, with these lawyers. Jesus says, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burden with one of your fingers. These lawyers are being accused of practicing, of sorry, of not practicing what they preach. You've all heard of that, right? Practice what you preach. Well, they weren't doing it. That's what Jesus is getting at. This is exactly what Paul hammers the Jews for in Romans 2, 21 through 23, where he says, You then who teach others, do not teach, your, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say no one should commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And this is easy. It's easy to be this kind of religious person. It's easy for every one of us to be tempted to be the person who preaches on the one hand and doesn't live on the other. We say to our kids, don't talk that way about the kids at school. And then they hear us around the table talking that way about the people at church. Ooh. Mom, Dad, I thought you said you shouldn't talk that way. But yeah, well, this is a little different. Different situation. You know, in saying to our children, in saying to anybody, in teaching, instructing, we almost feel righteous just in the saying of it, just in the telling of it, because we know it's right. We know it's right, and we know in saying it, it feels like we're halfway there to obeying it, to actually doing it. If you preach something, like believe me, I, I preach every week, I preach often, in the preaching of it, you can just hammer the pulpit, so to speak, right? And you can declare it. And like, even in declaring it, there feels like a sense like, yes, I'm for it. Then go examine your life and you realize, wow, I'm not living it. And so you get this dichotomy. You know, we... We don't do it, and when we don't do it, this is the other problem. Not only do we preach it, but when we don't do it, you know what we're good at? We're good at making excuses. Because after all, each scenario provides a thousand plausible excuses that justify our actions. We only say harsh things because, after all, they're true. We tell ourselves. We only think cruel thoughts because they deserve it. 
We only do selfish things because those we do them to need to learn not to be selfish. We do and we say, and a lot of times our doing and our saying don't jive. And then when they don't jive, we get really good. We actually start to form a habit of making an excuse. I don't know about you, but I find it really easy. If you say, could you come up with 10 excuses of why you couldn't, didn't do that right now? Easy. Sure. <laughs> There's always excuses. And you'll see this like, when you have children, and you'll, they'll do something wrong, and you correct them, and they have an excuse. And they're quick. It's good. It's actually good. And they're just honing that skill. We have the same skill, the same ability in our own minds to justify what it is we do, to make an excuse. But as they say, talk is cheap, isn't it? And it was cheap with these lawyers. They would heap big burdens on people, Jesus said. And what would they not do? They wouldn't lift them with one finger. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't do it because they would say one thing and they would do another. And the thing about talk, though, talk gives false confidence. And do you know what the problem fundamentally is? Is that deep within us, we, we have standards, we create standards, we know of standards that we know are true and right, yet we also know that we ourselves don't uphold them. But that gap, needs to get covered how do we cover the gap from what we're saying and what we're doing well you can make excuses right you can you can say to yourself um all kinds of reasons why you did it or didn't do it and and those excuses make you feel really good about yourself this is what self-justification is you justify yourself and this is, this is something we all have to be very careful of because it's so easy to happen. We begin, we get, if we get good at it, we no longer can even see our own lives, our own selves, our own issues in our own hearts that are going on, and we don't even understand what's happening in us. Because what we're preaching and what we're living are, are miles apart. How many times have you given... Listen, think of this for a second. How many times have you given someone advice... That you know is right. You know it's right. But you don't do it. I'm guilty. Guilty is charged. And here's the thing. This is the dangerous thing about learning and then not doing. Because we, are in, we can get environments where, you, in a culture even, where you read books where you listen to sermons, where you listen to lectures. Maybe this week you did listen to podcasts, and you're just learning, 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 always learning. But not so much doing, not so much acting. We, we know far more, far more than we actually apply. And the reason for this is because the hearing and, the, and the gaining some understanding, that's easy. The doing, not so much. And when we go to do something, because here's the thing, when we go to do something and we find that the doing is actually kind of difficult, we usually back away from it. 
because we don't like difficult. We don't like struggle. We don't like strain. And, then we, and here's also why. We think we actually miss something. Wait a second. When I was reading that, it seemed so simple. And I want to do it, and it's like I need the YouTube video. And you, you realize that, yeah, you, you, could, you could read it, or you could even watch the YouTube video, but I gotta, I, if I'm going to do this, you ever go to do something that you've never done before, but you think you'll watch the YouTube video? You, 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 you rewind it, and then, and then you, you go two inches, and then you, you watch it again, and then you rewind it again, and you watch, and you rewind, and you watch, and you rewind, and think, holy, this is way more difficult than I thought. I thought I could just watch it once and go do it. No, I need to watch it over and over again in little increments and so I can kind of inch, inch my way through it. And, and, and we realize this is way harder than I thought. This can be the theme of our lives. It's way harder than I thought. You know what? So much of this happens because we believe a lie about sanctification and how progress works. We believe that if something is required of us, there has to be a way that, doesn't, that isn't so difficult. Or if it's difficult, something's wrong. Let me go, I've got to go back and read about this again. Read another book. And in the reading of it, when you're reading it or hearing it, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah. And you go back, and once again, you find it too difficult to do. And what is our tendency then? When things are difficult, we think there's something wrong. There's something we're missing. And so either, sometimes we just quit altogether, or, we, or we, if, if I think if we're making good progress, we go back and we do try to learn and we go forward and then try to make some progress. But if we have an understanding that if I don't have it, then God must not have given it to me, I must not have the gift, I must just not have it, something's wrong, I've got to learn some more, we're often missing how it works. Let's just take, for example, when Jesus commands in Matthew 18 that if your brother sins against you, Go to him. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. Oh, that sounds easy enough, right? Until you go to your brother. What, what did you want to talk about? Um, well, you see, uh, what I wanted to kind of talk about, well, and then... And then the thing could be a total disastrous mess and all we're looking for now and now it starts to derail is how do I get out of this? How do I end this and get away from this? And then what do we conclude from that? I'm, not, I'm, I'm horrible at that. I just, I'm just not good. I just don't really have the gift or anything like that. And so now what we do is we create some kind of an excuse mechanism for why we will never do that again. That was the dumbest thing you could ever do. Jesus says, go to your brother if they sin against you. Have you ever done that? Dumb. Wrong conclusion. What you're experiencing is immaturity. What you're experiencing is a lack of true understanding. What you're experiencing is what it's like to grow up. What it's like to learn anything. If, you said, if the Bible said to you, brush your teeth with your opposite hand... And you go to try it, and you shove it in your eyeball because it's so, so bizarre. You don't conclude that, okay, let's, let's make an excuse for it and switch hands. No, you realize that this is the way it works. It's going to be a while. We have to, like, figure out how this left hand works. 
Or in your case, the right hand. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if you've ever hurt your, your dominant hand and didn't try to brush your teeth with your other hand. You miss several teeth. <laughs> and then you go to bed and say, that was ridiculous. <laughs> but the thing is, if we understand that this is natural, this is how it works, this is, we are people who have a very difficult time when we set out to do something, especially if it's, as it's new, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be weird. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause us to stumble. It's going to cause us to be stretched and not and go through a phase where we don't really enjoy it. But you know what's know what'll happen if we expect that, if we understand that's the nature of it, oh then I can I can I can go through the process. But so often I think we become hearers of the word and not doers of the word because we think that once we hear we should be able to do. But when we, we can't do it, we make an excuse for it and back away for it and, and pledge never to do it again. Because why? We have a false understanding of sanctification, a false understanding of growth, a false understanding of how knowledge works and how it gets implemented in and through our lives. As Christians, we have to understand if we're not going to grow this massive gap between hearing and doing, if we're not going to become like these lawyers who just preach a big game, who talk a big talk, and can't walk for an inch of it, we have to get really good at understanding this is going to require baby steps. This is going to require practice. This is going to require growth. This is going to require stumbling around. This is why, if you expect it, you shouldn't read Jesus who says, go to your brother if he sins against you and, and correct him. And then if you've won him, you, you're reconciled again. You shouldn't read that and just run out and do it. You should probably spend lots of time in prayer. Lots. Because you get your weakness. You should spend lots of time going over it in your head. Maybe even lots of time in front of the mirror practicing. Maybe even lots of time, times, under, even, even get together with someone like even your spouse and talk to them and actually practice the situation. Why would you do that? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm no good. I've never done this before. And I realize, I realize that when I hear, it's not like I can instantly do. Often I stumble in the doing. Even, even I, I don't know where to start. Have you ever had that before? I don't even know the first thing. I don't like, could someone tell me step one even? And so that, that's where we're at. And, and we've got to be people who like realize that we can't just be hearers. We have to be doers. Otherwise, we create religiosity. We will start trying to put on a shroud, put on an image, put on a veneer that we're somebody that we're not. And we'll preach a big game, preach big, walk horrible. And it's not good. We will become Christians who are nothing but get really good at being fakes. We fake the whole thing. And this can happen to any one of us. Another thing that you'll do if you're moving towards this religiosity is that you'll act like you honor the truth, but you hate being confronted by it. We'll look at this next verse here. Luke eleven forty seven through 49. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. 
Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send, send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. These guys, these lawyers, they liked to build. They were into building the tombs of the prophets and venerating them. Venerating their glorious names, these prophets. They loved, they loved to spend time, to spend energy and significant amounts of money on polishing and, and decorating the tombs of the prophets. Literally, they would actually spend significant portions of time making sure that these tombs looked spectacular and venerating them and honoring them and esteeming their names. And so if you walk by the tomb of a prophet, you look and say, wow, somebody really cares about these prophets. Somebody's put in some time and effort in, in making sure that we never forget these people and who they are. And Jesus said to them that the murderers, the mur- ones who murdered them, Notice, look at what he says. He calls them the murderers. They're the ones who are your fathers. He, he does something interesting here. He says, they are your fathers. Notice how he doesn't say the prophets are your fathers. He says, who are the fathers? The ones who murdered them. And Jesus said this because the truth was, they had been seeking to put Jesus to death from the very beginning. And they knew it, and he knew it. And who was Jesus but the greatest prophet? The one who put all the words in the former prophets. The ones who were speaking his word. Yet even here where Jesus is speaking the truth to them, even in this very text where where Jesus is declaring the truth to them, they hate it and they want to kill him. They're conspiring right there, like, we've got to get rid of this guy who's speaking to us in this way. Because, and um, guaranteed, they, it's not because of murderous motives. No, 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 no. For the honor of Yahweh. The glory of his name. These guys, Jesus is a blasphemer. And so they, they spin it and they turn it and they view themselves as the righteous one, him as the wicked one, and him who must die if they are to honor Yahweh. They deceive themselves with their false religion as they decorate the tombs of the righteous. You know, kind of like many in the Reformed Church today who like to quote and honor John Calvin, but hate it when the Calvins of today confront them. I saw this firsthand at one time during a controversy where the ones being accused were simply trying to articulate what the scriptures actually said and in the process were even giving direct quotes from Calvin. The Calvin was saying the same thing about this particular scripture. But because it didn't line up precisely with the Westminster Confession, they were screaming heresy and wanting these people to be removed from the church as heretics. They seem to only love and honor Calvin when they can quote him to support the confession. The same spirit also comes out in us when we delight to hear the word and theology taught, but we hate to be confronted by anyone about anything. 
For example, we hear a preacher going after the homosexuals or the abortionists, and we say, preach it, brother. Preach it. Yeah. Yet if that same preacher were to pull you aside and tell you that your attitude stinks and that the way you speak to others is completely inappropriate, you would say, how dare you speak to me this way? You don't even understand or know me. You don't even know what's in my heart. Are you judging my heart? I don't speak to others inappropriately. I speak the truth to others. Oh, okay. Interesting. How often does that happen? Well, how, it happens more often than we, we know. Just look at how we react when our spouse or someone close to us points something out in us. And they, you know, sure they didn't do it in the best way. Right? They never do. It's, the approach was horrible. The way, the manner, the tone. I know that tone. Hate that tone. They push that button. And we, inst- we instantly are angry at their assessment because it's so wrong. They don't understand the full nuance, right? Never do. And the reason this happens is because what got wounded in us was our little fragile ego. And that's why we react, and we can't stand it, because, you know, if you point out something to me, it's like, you can attack anybody, but you, you attack me and, and the fists come up, right? Because I'm protecting self. That self in us, you know what that is? That's that little monster Paul calls the flesh. And Jesus calls it the self, the self that must die daily. And that little monster in us, that little fragile ego in us, it needs to get more than wounded. It needs to get crucified daily. Daily. It needs a workout. It needs a crucifixion workout every day. Because it's really, really good at defending itself, exalting itself, wanting praise, wanting adulation, even, even flattery. Give the ego flattery. It's like, yes, more. I don't, it's to, these are total lies. Just keep them coming. It's a monster in us. As Jesus said, if you want to follow me, then you must die to yourself daily. Take up your cross daily. This means that we should never get in the habit of acquitting ourselves. We need to get in the habit of executing ourselves. This needs to be a reality because it's the natural tendency of this egotistical self to take every compliment, praise, honor, and bit of flattery and feast on it. And just feast on it while at the same time loathing and hating every bit of criticism or constructive feedback. Have you ever gotten any constructive feedback and went, felt it deep within? I have. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we have. Do you realize we have to fundamentally understand, because this is how religiosity is bred, We're not understanding that there's a part of us, the self, the ego, the flesh, as Paul calls it, that must be crucified. 
that it's like sometimes we think it's just that's us, that's me, that's who I am. Do you realize that these feelings, these the senses that you have when someone confronts you, when someone says something to you, and you feel <clears throat> you feel that, oh, and then and then that, you, you feel the anger right there, <clears throat> just identifying it and understanding what it is is half the battle. That's not something you want to protect in you. It's not something you want to guard in you. It's not something that's like little precious to you. You've got to see that's the monster in you. That part of you has to go to the crucifix. That part of you has to die. And until we can understand what's going on in us, sometimes I know we don't have any clue what's going on in us. We're protecting little precious. We're like Gollum, right, in there. No, that part of you, that ego, that flesh, that self, Take it to the cross. It's got to die. And I tell you what, the cross doesn't feel good. It's something we're confused because it's, it's shouting so loudly and it, and it wants so much attention that we think, okay, then I must protect you. I must honor you. I must guard you. Let's realize, no, let's kill you. I've got to feel this. I've got to experience a sense of dying to myself daily. Because then if I don't, I will never make progress in the spirit. I'm always walking according to my flesh, listening and obeying my ego. Not, and, and, and that's, I think, so much cause of so much trouble and why so many people fail to make progress in the faith, fail to make progress in true religion. They keep listening to their stupid ego. Their flesh, is fe- they're, they're feeding it because we don't understand we think it's too much a part of us it's actually we think it actually is us that's me at my core no it's not that's your flesh that's your that's that self that ego in you that's always wanting to be fed you know this this particular aspect of us is like this is what's driving these lawyers in the text this is what they are the reason why they they do what they do. The reason why they, they go about, you know, venerating the, the tombs of the prophets. The reason why they esteem the outside. Because the outside, they, they want religiosity. They want the outside to look a certain way. But inside, they're full of dead man's bones. They're full of it. In, inside, they're, 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 their ego is being stroked constantly. They want to present themselves as religious. They want to present themselves as having it all together. They want to present themselves. Uh, because, and they love honor. They love people to say to them they're so amazing. They love seats of authority. They love people to call them rabbi. They love people to call them father. They love people to look to them and to honor them and to esteem them. And because what happens when they do that? It feeds the ego, the self in us, doesn't it? Have you ever had one of those dandy comments? Someone says something really nice to you, it's like, oh, yes. Could you keep those coming? That feels, I, I, I just love that. Could you, and, then, and then how does it feel when somebody points out something to you that is a real issue? It's like part of you died. That didn't feel good, did it? No, I'm still kind of rallying from it. And usually we react, don't we? We react to it. And then hopefully, maybe later on that day, it'd be nice. Maybe the next day we realize, you know what? They were, they were so right. They were so right. It's like the Spirit of God starts like convicting you. They were right. They were right. <laughs> you have an issue you need to deal with. 
So until we understand what's going on in us and we really understand that we need to put ourselves, that ego, that flesh to death, and it, he says daily, Jesus says. It's a thing you need to do continually. And we learn to walk in the Spirit, walk according to the grace of God given to us. We, we will not make progress away from religiosity. We will make progress toward religiosity. That's what will happen. We'll be out decorating the tombs of the prophets and, and speaking all big talk with our mouths. But inside, we'll be doing nothing but feasting and feeding the monster who's going to turn us into a total and complete religious hypocrite. The last thing I want us to see here in this, this text is that when it comes to this religiosity and the nature of it, is that this is what we end up doing also. You withhold knowledge in order to remain in control. If you look at verse 52, he says this, Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who are entering. Apparently, as I read one commentary, when these lawyers were finished their training in the scriptures, they would be given a key. And, and so this key was given to them as a, to represent that you hold the key of interpretation and instruction for the people of God. You've been trained. You've been equipped. You've been given the word of God. These, these lawyers were highly trained in the scriptures. And the key represented you are now ones who understand it, who, who know how to interpret it, who know how to apply it. Yet, as Jesus said to them, what does he say here? You've taken away the key of knowledge. You've taken that key, in other words, and stuffed it deep in your pocket, and nobody's learning anything. An example of this would be everything that was said about the Messiah in the Old Covenant especially certain aspects of his life, suffering, death, and resurrection. As we looked at last week, last week we went through plenty of places. There's lots of scripture that speak of these negative aspects of the Messiah, his suffering, his death, and, and, and all, the, all that component where they, they actually completely would not touch it. I, just, I found out the, this last week, I was listening to this testimony of this Jew, and he says the rabbis skip over Isaiah 53. They never touch it. Oh, interesting. He said, I didn't know it was in the Bible. This Christian guy challenged him to read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, what? He goes and reads it like, whoa, they, whoa, this is why they skip over it. Kind of like me this morning. You'll notice I've skipped over verses 50 and 51. <laughs> Nobody noticed. <laughs> And the reason for that is because I had no clue what it means. I don't know what it's talking about. And I, I'm just going to point this out because I think it, it, this is funny because how it works. Ironically enough, here I am, I thought, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I, I, when he says about all the, the righteous blood being on this generation from Abel to Zechariah, uh, I don't know how that actually, how is that? Because how is it that... The people who actually did it, is the blood on them? How is it on this particular, all of it's on this generation? Well, they didn't do it. I don't know how it's on this generation. So I was just, I was befuddled. And, and, and interestingly enough, most of the commentaries just kind of did the same thing. Just yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway, 
These lawyers were not only avoiding portions of Scripture and not, and not allowing people to, access them, uh, to have access to them, but they were speaking against the very word of God in their midst. Jesus. They, they were actually speaking against the word of God. They were respected by the people, highly esteemed by the people, and they were the ones hindering people, as the text here says, from turning to Jesus in faith. And why is that? Why do you think that is? Here's why. Because they were the ones that the people feared and the people would look to them and hear them for, for counsel and wisdom. And what were they saying? He is a blasphemer. Do not listen to this man. Turn from this man. What he's saying is false. He's a Beelzebub, right? He's, they're saying all, making all these comments. And so as the text says, they're hindering many in Israel. Many in Israel actually would have turned to Jesus, as we can see implied here. But you've turned them away. How? Because you shut the door of true knowledge. You shut the way of righteousness off to them. Here I am before you, and you're blocking. You're causing people to stumble. You're causing people to turn away. And they're causing the people to fear. The people now are afraid. They think in their minds, I, I, I kind of am believing he's Messiah, but I don't dare go there. It's like There's too much tension. There's too much stress. They're saying that he's not, so I'm... I'm I, I, I can't do it. There are people in that place right there. They, they're looking and seeing, and, and it's like believing kind of, but yet not willing to follow and go after because of the fear of, what these peop- of, of these people and because of what they were saying. Now, there are times, too, when we are tempted ourselves to withhold truth because we either fear or we feel like we give others an advantage by giving them the truth or by give because you give people the truth you feel like they they won't need you anymore we've we can withhold for different reasons there are several reasons why we might withhold the truth and normally every single one of them isn't good you know the lawyers terribly feared losing control of the people they terribly feared these people going after messiah and departing from them This fear controlled them. This actually happened with the clergy in the Roman Catholic Church. They hated what Martin Luther was doing by printing the scriptures in the people's common language, their vernacular. Because he put the the word of God in their hands, in the commoner's hand. And the clergy squealed and they writhed and shrieked because they knew the people would no longer be under their control. The common people would read and they would see the truth and they knew it would be all over for their control. Yet, of course, the Roman Catholic Church puts a pious spin on it and they would argue that the commoner will twist the scriptures and pervert pervert the interpretation of the Bible. This cannot happen. Heresy will break out everywhere, says the heretic. It's true that it would open the door for all kinds of crazy interpretations. It's true that it, yeah, it, it will have crazy ramifications. There are always people who are going to grab it, come up with crazy interpretations, and start a weird cult somewhere. We've seen that happen. But it also opens wide the door to tr- for the true knowledge of the gospel. And it powerfully went forward to the word of God and had success in the world. 
But just think of ourselves, how we can do this even with our own children or with those we are discipling. Because we're afraid. Fear controls us, not the word of God. We're afraid of certain truths. And we think if certain truths are under, if, if we crack that open, people will run. They'll be fleeing for the hills. Take, for example, the, some of the doctrines we avoid. With certain people, not everybody, with certain people, we want to avoid the doctrine of hell, big time. Don't ask that question. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk later. Right. Or perhaps predestination. Or the problem of evil, addressing all the evil in the world. Or, or suffering, even understanding suffering, how that works with the sovereign God who's good. And we know there's a dilemma. Don't ask the question. It makes my head hurt. Don't go there. Or God bringing genocide upon a nation. I wish you wouldn't have brought that up. Yeah. Why did you have to go there? These are doctrines that shock and confront us. Yet we hide from them and avoid them, and we do not want others to bring them up because of our fear of others or of losing others. And every single one of us, if you've ever been in a situation, someone brings up a subject, and you're like, oh, no. You're in the coffee room, and, and you're about to take a sip, and, and so, so, you know, so, someone brings up something Christians believe, and you're the only one in the room, and you know you believe that, too. And... <laughs> you're looking for the door how do i get out of here because there's no way you want to you want to get into that one there's no way we we fear what other some there's things about the bible there's things about god there's things about true truth that are not always easy that are not always comfortable and sometimes it just you know else it exposing us our ignorance we don't like to tell people i don't know Especially our children, we want, to, we, want to, we want to pontificate. Our children, what question do you have, child? I'll answer every one. I like it when you ask me questions. Even if I don't know, I'll blab on and on. Because we don't like to, especially in those scenarios, don't say, you know what, I don't have a clue. I don't know. I don't understand. I really don't. How, why don't you know? Oh, not as smart as you thought I was. Uh, there's... There's some things I, I struggle with, too. There's some things I don't understand fully. But that's difficult for us. And why? It gets back to the same thing. What's the problem? What's the fundamental issue in us? Is it we're constantly, there's that self again, right? What's, what's at the root of all this? So we see that these lawyers are constantly tempted to put on this religious facade to withhold knowledge, to honor the prophets, but themselves kill them. All this religiosity, but yet inside they're just nothing but fake, dead people who are just irreligious in every way. Realize that the biggest problem with all religiosity and why it rears its ugly head in us is because of self, that ego in us that loves, that loves to appear, that loves status, that loves image, that loves honor, that loves esteem, that loves everybody. Just, yes, could you keep... keep Piling it on because I really delight in all this goodness you're bestowing on me. That is the fundamental root of it all. And it, it manifests itself, as we see, in all kinds of different ways. And sure, we might not manifest it the same way as the lawyers. But we manifest it in the Christian church in so many ways. 
and the ways that we put on a front and the, way that, the ways that we want others to think a certain way about us and the ways that we want, want their esteem, we want their honor, we want people to, to, to think highly of us. And so what do we do? We, we, we think, well, how can I get that? And so I put on what I can do and say and, and act in certain ways so I can get this esteem. But it's not really true with what's going on in us. Right? There's, there's no other way for us to deal with this and understand this than realizing this is a common threat and a problem with all of us. Every single one of us here can, has a real propensity towards a religiosity. And the only solution is for us to realize what's going on and die to ourselves daily. Go to the Lord daily and seek his grace, his help, his wisdom, his direction. We've got to become people who really want more than anything else. What I want more than anything else is sincerity of heart. Not hypocrisy, not religiosity, not an outward show. I really want, I want, to, I want to act because I love God and I love other people. I don't want to act because I want others to think a certain way about me. And as soon as I'm acting in ways for others to think a certain way about me, I'm just playing nothing but this game, this hypocrisy game of religiosity to get you to think a certain way about me. And if that's happening, it needs to be confessed, it needs to be exposed, it needs to be dealt with. We as Christians need to get more used to confessing, more used to hearing honest input from others, more used to hearing critique and, and feedback, more used, to, more used to all that honesty and truth that we so often fear and hate because we got to die daily we got to die daily to this so that then what happens too when you experience the blow and the exposure of who you really are you sense and you feel your weakness do you know what you do when you really sense it you go to god because you need help you need strength You need wisdom. You feel in deep in your soul your desperate weakness and your need. And whenever you're at that place, you're at the most beautiful place ever. I guarantee you, you think, no, that's not beautiful. I hate it. No, it is. It's so beautiful because watch what you're doing. Your posture is appropriate. You're broken. You're needy. You're before God confessing sin, confessing the reality, and looking to him to supply all that you need. And as you live in that state, that state of dying to self and in weakness, depending upon God for all that you have, you're there dying and and depending on God. You're in a wonderful place, walking in dependence upon the Spirit of God to strengthen you, to support you, to sustain you, to help you, to guide you, to protect you, to be everything for you. At the same time, looking for that little selfish monster in you to be killed. That's a good place. And I guarantee you there, religiosity will not, will not breed too quickly. But if you don't live there, look out. It's going to come like a flood. And religiosity will take over you. And you'll become just like these lawyers. Amen. Father, we're so thankful. Thankful for your word. I ask for your mercy and grace and blessing on us all. That we would truly examine our hearts and that we would be honest about what's really going on inside of us, and that we would be humble, we'd be broken, we would be those weak people that we know we are who put to death the self daily and look to you daily to be everything we need. 
So, Lord, we truly surrender everything to you. We surrender our lives. We surrender ourselves. We surrender every issue to you. We surrender all to you because we need you desperately. Amen.